0: When my oldest was starting to potty train coincided with when he was also wanting to drop a nap. And so we were trying to enforce that he still needed to have his quiet time in his room, if nothing else. And sometimes this was so that mommy and daddy could have our quiet time on our own. So we did the thing where we turned the doorknob around so we could lock him in. And we went and had some alone time. And our child, we had removed his poop diaper and there was like poop smeared all in his room. And this had basically happened during our alone time since our potty training child couldn't alert us or get out because we had locked
1: him in his room for a quiet time. So the moral of the story is never have sex. (laughs) We are (laughs) wives,
0: entrepreneurs,
2: entertainers, executives, And at the end of the day, we are all moms, all at the same time and never in the same order. (laughs) This is Hi, My Name is Mom, a podcast about motherhood. Here are your hosts, Jen, Corey, and Kayla. Welcome to today's episode of Hi, My Name is Mom. We've realized that over the course of our, this is gonna be episode 21. Woo! Isn't that unreal? Oh my gosh, crazy. So we've talked a lot about how we feel as moms and all the things we go through as moms. And today we want to talk about our kids. Everything is weird in the world and it's so stressful for us. And we've talked about how like, oh, I don't want to be a homeschool teacher and how frustrating that is for us and, and how we're trying to work and do all these things. But what we haven't focused on yet is how that's affecting our kids. And so today we have a co-host, a special co-host, and it's actually my sister Katie. Hi. So she is the mommy to two kids, my sweet little niece and nephew, um, Aiden, who is almost eight, and Kennedy, who is almost six. She lives in San Diego, so she's all the way across the country from me. And she's sort of my compass when I get really stressed out about the world right now. My sister has gone through this entire pandemic by herself. My brother-in-law, her husband, is in the Navy and he's been deployed since late January, is that right, Katie? January, yeah. He's a badass, by the way. Um, he's the, he is the uh, CO of his ship, so he's super fancy. In fact, my husband always says like, "Oh, I just talk on the radio for a living and my brother-in-law's like saving the world." <laughs> <laughs> so she's currently getting her masters. She's in school to become a therapist. And so she's, she understands the psychology behind everything going on in a different way because she's learning about all of this right now. So she'll call me and go, hey, here's what I learned today, and this gives me some really interesting perspective. And my nephew Aiden has gone through some things that meant that Katie needed to reach outside of herself as a mom and what she was capable of helping her son with and actually go and get help from an occupational therapist and learn ways to help him with some struggles that he was having. And so she learned to recognize that kind of stress and anxiety in our kids and also kind of see the kind of stress and anxiety that goes beyond what we can handle as moms. Because we think we should do everything. And then we think if we're not handling everything, then it's all our fault. Like I think that's just... That's the default
1: for all of us. I I think you're right. But to be honest with you, I also think that our anxiety and the way that we handle our own emotions trickles down to our kids so much in ways that we probably don't even realize. So I've realized that I can help my kids manage their emotions by almost feeding them the line that I want them to have. So if I want them to be happy about somebody canceling our plans, it's like, oh, well, look, you know, we have a day that you can sit here and watch The Greatest Showman and build a fort. And that's just awesome. Like, we wouldn't have had that time. And I'm never that level-headed. You guys know me. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, that's like, if you could go back in time, how you <laughs> it <and> handled it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But truly, it's stopping in the moment and allowing myself that, that, that time to just be like, okay we're not doing this, but we're going to do this and it's going to be better. And it's almost like when you try and convince yourself of something, kids take that on the same way. They completely and totally will buy into any line that you're feeding them if you do it. The right if way. you model it the right
0: way, right? You mentioned though, Jen, you mentioned like taking that pause to decide how you want to present it. I think sometimes as moms, we forget that While everything is trial by fire, and I mean, you know, you could be reading all these books, but you're typically reading them after something has happened because of a situation you needed a solution for, like, you know, five hours ago. We have to remind ourselves it's okay to step away and return, to to take that um, pregnant pause and
1: actually decide who we want to be as far as the handler in the situation. I've been trying. And failing, and trying and failing, and trying and failing, and trying and failing, mostly failing, to implement that That in my life. A lot of trying and failing. (laughs) Because it's hourly. It's an hourly struggle here. It's not a daily or weekly struggle. What
2: have been the biggest emotional hurdles and the moments where you've really seen struggles with your kids emotionally?
0: Well, think about when you have a brand new baby, and they're crying, and you're trying to figure out why they're crying, and they can't talk to you about it. The same kind of thing happens when they throw temper tantrums as they start to get a little older, and they have these emotional outbursts, and you're, you're not really sure why. You know, you're only really thinking about that thing in the present. Well, uh, my oldest doesn't transition well, so congratulations to him. He moved into a Navy family all we do all the time is transition. So what happened for us was we would move and we would just see significant regression. And it was really hard to know when everyone's giving you advice, even those who care about you, here's all the discipline, here's this, that, and the other. The way we receive that is typically, I'm obviously not handling this right. you know. And so when you see your child who should be joyful because they haven't a care in the world, they're a child and it's like they're just not and everything's so heavy and you don't know how to help them and then you get emotionally
2: spun up and you know that that permeates your whole family what and kind of manifestations were you seeing of that anxiety what what were the behaviors you saw because of that some of it would come
0: out as aggression other times it would just be like a full on meltdown or a defiance you know just just really fighting us and feeling like we couldn't solve it for him and the unpredictability of it. You know, people would say, oh, let's come out and do this. And I would think, I don't know what my child is going to be like in that situation. So I don't know if I can do that. Um,
1: that's,
2: that's really stressful. It, it, it is, stressful. It is
1: stressful. I love what you said though. I have to just interject there for a second because I love how you said that you realize that you can't solve it for him. But what you can do is give him the tools to be able to manage his emotions himself. But that
2: was a it was a journey for for Katie. Yeah.
1: Well, and the thing
0: that I found so interesting is that we'd be going through this, and you know, I'm cognizant of the things that I'm not an expert in, and you know, this is my first child. I've never parented a child before this child, so it can be hard to know what's to be expected of this phase, uh, what's normal and what's not normal. And when you go to people and you ask, people want to console you and say oh, your child is fine. Um, and that really makes you question yourself because, you know, you're listening to your gut and you're going, really? Because this doesn't feel fine. I feel like other moms look a little happier. I feel like their kids look a little more easygoing. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what to do here. So we've spent a long time with people just throwing other discipline ideas out there. And guys, I'm going to be real with you. If it was just a matter of that I needed to spank my kids 60 times a day, and then everything would magically be fine, I would have done that. Yeah. You
2: would have done anything if yeah. you thought that it was going to help him. alleviate the right. stress of what was happening. Yeah, for. Because it was, it was stressful for him, too. You know, you can trick a kid into, like, being distracted. And he would just hang on to things in a way that a, a grown-up does, really. Like, in some ways, he's like an old soul, you know, yeah. where you're like, you are smart beyond your years. But the heaviness that comes along with that – Like he gets that he's having these emotions, but he's still a kid who doesn't know how to express and cope with those emotions. And I saw Katie really struggle as a mom, not only trying to figure out and try. I mean, I saw all the methods she tried. And then you start to get those things that we've talked about from other people. You you start to get shamed. You start to get opinions. You start to get everybody else thinking there's maybe something that you haven't tried. And it kind of comes back on you as a mom. And that's just... Then the weight of that reflects back on your kids because you're feeling that frustration.
0: What was also complicated about it is that um, there weren't any like milestones he didn't tick. He's very very smart, and therefore, when people would get him one on one, they'd go, "Oh, well, you know, he's he's able to do all these things," and he's also very affectionate. And because there weren't delays, and because there was affection. That put him in the gray area. There wasn't a black and white obvious picture of something that was wrong. And he basically, he, he ticked enough boxes to make it difficult, but not enough boxes to warrant the normal resources that you would get.
1: Right. From like the schools or from the doctors and things like that.
0: Right. But I still knew that we did not have all the necessary answers to solve things for him. And we're, we're the parents. We're emotionally connected. You know, to a certain degree, you know, we're so zoomed in on our camera lens that it's almost hard to see. You need someone who can zoom way out and take a look at the big picture and ask about the things you're not asking and not be emotionally clouded by what they're seeing.
1: I'm going to tell you, first of all, what you're describing sounds Identical to what I've gone through with my now nine-year-old. And we've been through absolutely everything trying to figure it out. And I will say to, to your point a moment ago, there's a little bit of me that has always wondered, what am I doing to mess him up? And it takes, I think, a good strength of character also to say, I, I get that I could be doing these things. And when I take him to see someone or try and get him help, it might reflect poorly on me as a parent, but I need to help him first and then deal with like myself later. You know, I'm really compelled listening to your story because it's so, it's so much like our own that I, I just, I guess I'm feeling comforted knowing that there are other people who've had similar situations.
2: It it is interesting because some things that I have heard you talk about are very similar to some of the things that Katie's gone through. And I really want to commend both of you guys as moms because I think that one of the hardest things to do as a mom is acknowledge that there maybe is something beyond a a mild behavioral issue or like um, just a, a phase because you want your babies to be perfect, right? And I think that a lot of times the first line of defense as moms for our kids is to become defensive. And then you also want to protect them from being shamed by maybe other parents who don't understand that there's a deeper issue. Right. Um, it's just so hard on so many levels. And I really, I really think it's amazing that both of you have really just like done whatever you need to do to help your kids cope in the best way that they can by giving them that opportunity to have it go outside of what you can do as a mom. I think that's a hard, hard step to take.
0: Well, you know, just like you guys talked about with miscarriage being like the dirty little secret, it's kind of a secret. Like people are so worried about someone being labeled or someone knowing that something isn't just right, that they don't talk about it. And I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people and again, like with miscarriage you start to talk about things and people go wait wait i i deal with some of that like can i didn't know there were any solutions out there for me or that other people were going through this
1: i remember i, I was talking to someone very emphatically about how i cannot get my son my kids really but, but mostly it's one of my sons to respond to me Ever, unless I yell, unless I raise my voice, I have to almost get in his face and say, Get your toys off the floor. I have to touch him and I have to literally like yell it into him because he does not respond. And I, I will say, it was my mom actually that I was talking to about this. And she's like, Why don't you just stop yelling? And she's like, And see if that works. And I was like, Because I've been doing that for years and it doesn't work. So the problem that I have then is. I say, I need, you know, I feel like they're to your point where you're talking about like the mom gut, I'm like, I feel like there's a bigger problem here. Like there's a bigger developmental problem that people aren't seeing that doctors aren't seeing teachers aren't seeing, but as his mom instinctively, right? Like I, I feel like my, my gut instincts are telling me that there's a, a problem. And she's like, well, she's like, well, what would you do differently if you knew there was a problem, if he had some kind of diagnosis? And I was like, well, obviously I would alter how I'm interacting with him. She's like, well, why don't you do that now? And I'm like, because if he is a developmentally healthy child, he should be able to follow these directions. And so that gets me angry. It gets me frustrated. And I then become a bad mom because i then start yelling at him and i cannot get him to respond otherwise
2: but you don't also even if you you would be making an assumption about a problem that you don't know exactly what that problem is or exactly Exactly. what the right way to handle it would be so even if you like you just don't have it in your toolbox because you're not a doctor you have you can't give him a diagnosis and therefore you can't give a prescription for success for like for your behavior, because who knows what that is?
1: Exactly. And if, if honestly, if I knew that my son could physically not help the way he was responding or not responding to me or, or the level of anger that he was having at a specific situation or the fact that he will cry nonstop when something doesn't go his way. If I knew that that within him there was something he physically could not control, it would change how I interact with him.
0: Think about, uh, I mean, as an adult, I know if I'm in a bad mood, if I can make some me time for some exercise, I will be in a better mood on the other side of that, right? But
2: as a child, they're not equipped yet. I mean, come on, they're adults. You can't I- be like, you know what, just go have a glass of wine and you'll feel fine <laughs> after. <laughs> <laughs> We're adults out here
0: trying to figure out how to self-medicate for our anxiety. And yet we look at our children and go, well, what? You don't just already, you don't know how to handle this? Mommy just gave
1: you a hug. You know, what's good? Yeah. When we lived in Virginia, we were having such a difficult time with Charlie learning how to kind of manage his emotions and work through things that we got him into some cognitive therapy. And I'm a huge huge advocate of therapy on almost every level. I mean, we've, we've talked about it before. I'm a marriage therapy advocate. I'm a fan of of behavioral therapy for kids and, you know, Evie's in feeding therapy. So for me, if I don't have the tools in my toolbox to help, it's like I know other people do. And one of the things that I will say came out of that, um, that six months of therapy for Charlie was that his his therapist, Ashley, who he absolutely adored, Um, made this toolbox, a a real like toolbox for him out of construction paper. And every single page was a different emotion. And her method was anytime he had a problem that he didn't know how to solve, if his default was to get mad or his default was to cry or hit or whatever it was, and Charlie really wasn't a hitter, but that's neither here nor there. If whatever his default emotion was, he could go into this physical toolbox of emotions, find the one that he felt like he was feeling and needed to to, to use and pull up. And it really, really helped him for a long time. Um, and and now I see him, he doesn't use it mentally as much as he used to, but it was a really great, a really great tool because you're right. We as adults barely know how to, how to deal with our own emotions. (laughs) But yeah, we expect these little pint sized versions of ourselves to be able to do the same thing. Imagine you're
0: feeling these things and you don't have the emotional vocabulary to go with it, right? Like you're feeling something, but You know, it's like being in another country where they speak a different language and you need to tell someone what you need or what you're experiencing and you can't. They literally don't understand you. Kids don't come equipped with an emotional vocabulary and that puts them at a language dilemma because they, they don't know what to tell you what they're feeling. And then to exacerbate that, you know, the brain doesn't simultaneously develop. It's the same reason why... Kids, you know, have all of this emotion and imagination before they have any sense of reason to go with it. And so when we're trying to reason with them, it doesn't matter because what they understand as real is based on their development. And for us, one of the things that we learned with that emotion management was that it was also that that brain development was also connected to movement. So my son didn't didn't crawl until he was 10 months. And then he basically just got up and walked. Well, it turns out that all of that hand stimulation, that pressure going into the hands, stimulates the development of certain areas of the brain that deal with executive function. So we learned that like, instead of sending him into, him into a timeout, if we sent him to do animal movements, like bear crawls up and down the hallway, or got out a little tunnel and said, like, all right, you know, while I'm getting this set up, I want you to see how many times you can go through this tunnel, he would reset emotionally. Because of
2: the The physical, like a, a, it's like you going for a run. Yes. Like his version of that. He's expending the energy through some kind of a physical movement instead of anger or aggression.
0: Right. So for a lot of kids, um, push pull kind of things will do it. Uh, even some kids really love spinning and swinging. I I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, what's so interesting. Anytime you learn about the brain is that, it's not something that's exclusive to kids. But again, it's things where if we can provide them those tools before we ever found it out for ourselves, you know, at a, at a younger age, then they can figure out how to self-soothe and have those in their toolbox.
1: That it turns out right. Like, why, do we, why else do we think that axe throwing is such a thing here?
2: <laughs> well, it turns out that Kayla's telli- Kayla telling John to take a walk. <laughs> Turns out that's a pretty effective method of, you know, we talked, we talked about communication styles, Adrian and Jen's, they get it out. I would just love to walk into their house one day because like she said, they're totally fine, like in front of people. And, like, they've had a moment, and, like, Adrian's going, rawr, and Jen's going, like, meow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Adrian got all of this wood from a local publicist friend of his. She had a tree fall down in one of the storms, and he had all these huge chunks of wood. And I swear, last week I went outside, there's four men in my yard, and they all have these axes, and they're just, like, going to town on the wood, just chopping the shit out of the wood. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, it's cheaper than therapy. It's
2: been remarkable to see the difference in Aiden once Katie learned how to do what you're talking about trying to figure out with Charlie, which is to just handle it. She, one, of the, one of the big revelations I remember her having is the school he goes to, they have a running program. And Katie started to realize that on mornings when he had his running program, he had a better day. He was more chill. His anxiety was down. He just all around was just more relaxed. And, um, and now they have a treadmill at home and my little almost eight-year-old nephew, he can get on that thing and run for an hour. It is so impressive.
1: Oh my gosh, that's a great idea. I never, I have one of those Bowflex trainer, pro trainer max things. Uh, it's awesome, but I never let the kids on it. Maybe I should encourage Charlie because I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think he needs that kind of stimulation. The stuff that I dealt with with Charlie, a lot of it is very personal to him, but um, I think for purposes of maybe helping other people, it's safe to share this. He had a really hard time transitioning to being dry at night, and it's still a problem every night. So there's a big sort of developmental pause there where, you know, when you have, I know they don't really worry about kids. Um, bedwetting and whatnot until they're like 12 or 13 years old when they're boys. But for me, it kept making me go, hmm, okay, something's not right here. It's either like an impulse he's not able to control or it's something he is able to control and that's why it's happening, like, you know, one or the other. Um, he was crying all the time. Like anytime I would say, no, you can't have ice cream, buddy. I'm sorry. We're having dinner in 30 minutes. Ah you let everyone else have ice cream except for me. And I'm like, buddy, I let them have ice cream at one o'clock right after lunch. Nobody's had ice cream for the last three or four hours, but you're right next to dinner. Now you're deciding you want it and it's not the right time. He would storm off and cry. Just storm, storm, storm. If somebody took the remote from him accidentally, you know, and didn't actually mean to like turn the channel onto something else, but picked it up, he would just ball. He could not handle, and this isn't now, this stuff is about, about a year ago, he would cry. He just could not – He his default was to whine and cry and stomp away. And the
2: reactions um, didn't fit the situation. Never. It was Especially never. because you do have – whereas Katie was a first-time mom mm-hmm. and had nothing to compare it to. Yeah. you You did have – a daughter who was older and had kind of like, were well, you were familiar with that? So yeah. And,
1: and granted, she, you know, she's a, she is a female and he's a male. And I know they like, sometimes just the, the growth is different, you know, developmentally. But I also, at this point also had Mason. And the thing that was super frustrating to me was like, Mason was done and potty trained and fine. Right. So I could tell that, it would have been one thing if, like, you know, there was, like, a year lag or two-year lag, but to, for there to be, like, four-year lag yeah. as usurped it so much, right? So, yeah, so there were just all these little issues.
0: What is difficult is, like, you know, for the first year to two years of our kids' lives, you know, we're laid out this, like, milestone timeline right? that helps us go, oh, yeah, we're there. Oh, yay, we're there. And then the older they get, it gets even more ambiguous. And we go. Well, is this okay? Is this not okay? And to a certain degree, I get it because not all kids develop things at the same time. And kids don't magically learn to read at this exact moment. You know, it's that's going to vary. But it, it does get hard when you're not sure. Like, okay, at what point do I consider this a problem? You know, I ran into some of the same things. My youngest went to speech therapy, um, and same thing. Like, it was. It took a while to be like, is this just? her voice? Is this just a stage? Is it just coming along later? And then it turned out she actually had this amazing vocabulary, just trouble saying it. But one of the things that I discovered, and actually when you mentioned the thing about wetting the bed, um, it made me think of this. So with Aiden, when we started trying to figure out what was going on, because before I was just throwing the kitchen sink at everything, which was not beneficial for any of us, especially since then my husband and I weren't on the same page. We were trying different things. Grandparents weren't on the same page. It was just a big, big messy thing that, you know, I'm sure was jacking him up even more. Um, but it turns out, you know, there are these other senses other than like your typical, you know, sight, smell, touch, feel, hear stuff. Um, and one of them is interception. And it's basically the ability to connect a feeling with an action that needs to take place, right? So Charlie might feel the urge to pee, but that doesn't properly connect with the next action. It's probably harder when he's not awake. Like when he's awake, that's a learned thing. So he's like, okay, flash. It's a habit. Right. It's a habit. But when he's asleep and he's not, you know, focused on connecting those two, it might not be as easy for him. One of the ones my son deals with, proprioceptive, um, and this is one where push-pull things are very beneficial. It has to do with body awareness. So like he can play a little too rough, like not realizing how much force he's, able to use um and then also like he he's sensitive to textures he wants things that are soft and are cozy and he likes to chew things so again it's figuring out like how can i how can i stimulate the this this sensory system in a positive way so that he doesn't go out sensory seeking in a negative way with it Um, and then you know the older they get the more you can connect like oh you're feeling this Okay, well, this will help with that. Um, and then maturity kind of helps feed into that. And again, gradually it stimulates that brain development. Um, but in then vestibular, so, you know, there may be a child that's having trouble learning to read when in reality, they're just having some problems with like spatial awareness and ocular mobility. So it might be hard for them to track things. And again, very minuscule thing, but the right rehab can fix it versus the frustration of getting mad at your kid because they're not reading like they're supposed to and tutoring and tutoring and tutoring, not understanding where that is. Um, But there's so much ruling in and ruling out. And what was really intriguing for me is when I first started uh, trying to get my son some, some additional help just because I was like, I feel like this is out of my wheelhouse. Um, the questionnaires that I would have to fill out took you all the way back to pregnancy, which there's nothing that makes you feel so good as being like, yeah, you know, that's right. I did feel stressed out during my pregnancy, but you know what? I'd had a miscarriage before it. So I apologized to this baby that I was nervous as hell about you when you were in utero. Yeah. yeah. Like, what was the delivery like? And
1: you're like, I'm sorry. Tell me which delivery isn't traumatizing. Like Right. The mom shaming going all the way back. I mean, that's honestly why I feel like so many moms don't stop and ask for help. And right. it's almost like why I didn't. I I felt like at one point in my life, way before, like where I'm talking eight years ago, I was too proud to ask for help. You know, I, I was yeah. like, it's going to come back on me. I and now I'm kind of like, you know what? If it comes back on me, but it fixes my kids, so be it. I, I'm not above learning. I've got a lot of demons in my own, you know. Attic that I gotta exercise.
0: I wish there was just one question that was like, is your husband's penis slightly crooked? Like just <laughs> something There's nothing fun. about the dad. <laughs> <laughs> what
2: <did you> do? <laughs> Um, okay, on that note, <laughs> we are gonna wrap up part one of today's episode, but part two is available right now. So in part two, we're going to talk about some of the more acute struggles that our kids are facing because of the world right now and how we can help our kids through this stuff and also try to hang on to our own sanity.
1: And for all the reasons we're talking about today, we'll be taking a four-week hiatus after today's episode so that we can focus on our kids as they transition back to school, if school ever starts, that is. (laughs) (laughs) And when we come back, we have a huge surprise for you guys. Yeah, um, a surprise that even the person (laughs) who reveals the surprise never saw coming. So go ahead, head on over to part two, and we'll see you there. Bye, guys. Bye. Your name is Mom. (sighs)